0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So we've been exploring this core framework within the Buddha's teaching, the Four Noble Truths. One of the things that I love about this teaching is that the whole path begins with our shared humanity that it begins with this recognition their suffering this experience that we all have in life and Jill spoke last last night yesterday afternoon about about this what this is this dukkha this word that means this whole range of Experience we have as human beings, everything from irritation to stress to that which is unsatisfying to more uh, heavy experiences of suffering or anguish. and then they're all of our habitual ways of trying to wriggle out of it or get away from it or fix it or pretend it's not happening or blame someone for it or avoid it and the first kind of radical proposition of the buddha is that suffering is to be understood this is the injunction of the first noble truth this is suffering and so there's this invitation to look and see in our own direct experience, do I struggle? Is there stress? Is there dissatisfaction in my life? And then, rather than all of our habitual responses, can I understand this? So the shift is this willingness to experience suffering consciously, which is not our first, (laughs) generally our first response. Oh, let me feel this, (laughs) right? But that's the invitation, is to say, well, this is happening. Why not try to understand it? And that it's in that willingness to experience the difficulties of our lives that something transformative happens, that the heart matures And this is a very critical juncture in consciousness, that it's our relationship with suffering that determines if we will go in the direction of more difficulty, confusion, entanglement, and stress, or less, based on how we relate to the suffering and stress and difficulty we experience. So the Buddha said there are two kinds of suffering, suffering that leads to more suffering and suffering that leads to the end of suffering. And what makes the difference is our willingness to be with it, to investigate it, to experience it consciously. So the second noble truth that the Buddha offered that he had insight into, which is what I'd like to speak about this evening, is his insight into what's uh, the word in pali is samudaya the arising of suffering sometimes translated as the cause or the origin of suffering so the insight is suffering arises it comes into being in other words it's not permanent it's not absolute and simply recognizing this is the beginning of a deeper understanding because nothing comes from thin air right nothing just magically appears everything comes into being due to certain conditions and so this is the this is the insight of the second noble truth that suffering arises due to certain conditions and that we can start to learn and understand what those conditions are so i have here a kitchen match I borrowed this from the kitchen so if i were to light this i won't because there's no fire rule at irc but if i were to light this there'd be many conditions that need to be in place for this match to burn Right? needs to be wood there needs to be this uh, the substance that that can that can light there needs to be a certain kind of friction it needs to be dry enough not too much uh, enough oxygen but not too much oxygen and if any one of those conditions weren't in place the match wouldn't light the most immediate cause for the fire for the flame is that friction right that that rubbing and with that with that input of energy a flame appears if i were to light it how long does the flame last well as long as the conditions are present right if there's a strong wind if it gets wet or if the fuel burns down then the flame's going to go out so it only lasts as long as the conditions are present so this is this is one of the core insights that comes from buddhist practice is an understanding of conditionality that things exist based on certain conditions when certain conditions are present the match lights when those conditions are no longer present the fire goes out and it's this understanding that we can have into our experience of stress and suffering in life That suffering arises due to certain conditions. When those conditions are no longer present, the suffering ceases, it ends. So what are the conditions upon which suffering, stress, difficulty exists? What are the conditions upon which it depends? So the next radical thing in the Buddhist teachings is that he says, well, the most immediate cause that we can locate isn't out there it's not his fault it's not her fault it's not their fault it's in here it's within our own heart and mind that there's a certain kind of suffering there's a certain dimension of suffering in human life that's self-generated that can end so the saying as the saying goes pain is inevitable suffering is optional right so there's a certain there's there's certain experiences in life that none of us can avoid birth aging and death are inherently painful i've never seen a baby born but it doesn't look it doesn't look pleasant for either the mother or the baby i mean it's miraculous it's incredible but there's also a lot of pain getting old getting sick dying Losing the things we love, being associated with things we don't like. These are inherently unpleasant. But there's this aspect to experience that we add to it, this friction, this it digs into us, right? That's unnecessary. That's the second dart that that Jill was talking about yesterday. This reactivity, this extra layer that we add on top of the unpleasantness that's just inherently a part of being alive, that doesn't actually need to be a problem. So, that the suffering that the Buddha is pointing to is not in the content of our experience, it's not what's happening, but it's about how we're relating to it. So, the key thing that the Buddha points to in the Four Noble Truths as the most immediate condition that suffering rests upon coming back to this analogy with the match that that final push that ignites it is something called tanha often translated as craving literally it means thirst and so i want to explore this afternoon together what is this tanha how does it show up And then, how do we work with it? What do we do about it? So, tanha craving, sometimes wanting or thirst, it's this um, this energy in the heart and the mind of um, moving towards and and uh, and wanting something. And this is distinct from desire. Desire gets a bad rap in. Uh, in general buddhist circles but uh, there are many different kinds of desire and this is a very specific kind of desire this is different from wholesome desire the word in pali is Dhammachanda, which is a kind of enthusiasm or zeal for awakening there can be desire to do good desire to help right? Generosity, there's a certain movement of the heart to give behind generosity. So it's not that all desire is inherently bad. It's a specific kind of desire that the Buddha is pointing to. And the, the literal meaning of the word tanha points t- to what he's what he's describing, and the word is thirst. So when you're thirsty, is that a choice? Speaking of which... <clears throat> do we choose to be thirsty? It's a reflex, right? And so the, the kind of craving, the kind of desire that Buddha is pointing to is, is an unconscious habitual reflex. It's not intentional. It's not like, oh, gee, I think I'll go do this. It's it's this a more blind impulse that's reactive, a kind of compulsive yearning a habit of wanting something, and it's un, it's generally unseen. It's kind of this shadow that's driving our lives because it's dependent on ignorance. It's dependent on not seeing clearly. So one way of understanding the path of practice is as transforming or transmuting this unconscious, unhealthy kind of craving that's kind of tangled and warped with self-centeredness and confusion and kind of feeding on things into a more wholesome kind of bright movement of the heart towards true well-being so the current that propels the mind into stress suffering difficulty this dukkha is actually this uh, interplay between two different forces between tanha, this thirst, this kind of unconscious craving, and ignorance. Not actually understanding the Four Noble Truths, the the cause and effect relationship of how our hearts relate to experience, and uh, believing, still believing that there's some experience we can have as human beings that's going, to, that's going to do it, that's going to satisfy us in some deep and lasting way. Ignorance is the, the force that propels us to feel disappointed when things go wrong, that we still have an expectation that everything's supposed to go the way we want them to and that we're disappointed when things go wrong rather than recognizing, like, oh, no, this is just the way it goes. Some things work out, some things don't. There's a Sufi story of um, uh, a sage who's sitting in the marketplace eating chilies, chili peppers, some of you may know this story, crying, just tears streaming down his face. And his students come up to them and they say, Master, Master, what are you doing? Why are you eating the chilies? Stop, stop, You're, you're... You know, you're hurting yourself. He says, why are you eating the chili? He says, I keep waiting for a sweet one. So this is ignorance. We keep expecting something to happen that's going to bring a certain kind of satisfaction. So I'm going to talk more about this. So the Buddha identified three different kinds of tanha, three different kinds of this this thirst and this craving that operate in our lives, that propel us into suffering. The first is the desire to get or have something in the sensory realm, pleasant experiences. The second is the desire to be something or someone and the third is the desire to get rid of or not be something. I want to talk a little bit more about each of these and and how they show up. So The first is sense-desire, craving for pleasant experiences. And there's a whole range here from just kind of a mild hankering, you know, maybe have a little piece of cheese, that might be nice, you know, have a little nosh here, to full-blown greed and lust. And this shows up in wanting pleasant things, nice objects, a new phone, pleasant experiences, wanting to see pretty things and hear nice sounds, have new clothes and pleasant tastes. Um, The the whole industry of uh, consumerism, of having pleasant experiences and traveling plays on our desire for pleasant sensory stimulation. And it's important to note here, as, as I think Jill said yesterday, that there's nothing wrong with pleasure, but it's a sense of what's our relationship with it and is it driving us is there that unconscious yearning movement towards that's pushing us and on retreat this force of sense craving can get a little bit wacky <laughs> when you take away all of the distractions like your you know the tablets and the tv and the phones and the food and the fridge and it's just kind of like silent It's interesting to see what the mind starts doing to feed that desire for sensory stimulation. Like, how many times can you read the the toothpaste, (laughs) right? Or the back of the tea box. Or how many times do you check the bulletin board, right? Like, I just checked it, but I'm checking it again. So the mind just, it's feeding on, it's wanting some kind of pleasant sensory stimulation. So this force of um, craving for sense pleasure is—it's that—it's that monologue in the background on retreat that says like, maybe I'll have a cup of tea. No, I'll go take a walk. Yeah, I'll go walk around the loop. Maybe a shower, a hot shower would be nice. No, I think I need a nap. It's just always wanting something else, you know. I think I need another pillow. I saw that other person had two pillows. I have two pillows. Probably have less pain if I have two pillows and we stay focused on what it's looking at and and actually miss the force, the the common force that keeps propelling us forward, wanting something. We, We have a craving for pleasant meditation experiences. There's one meditation teacher I know likes to say, there's nothing like a good sit to ruin the rest of your day one really peaceful still meditation and then for the rest of the day trying to get back there struggling right what's that struggling that's that's tanha that wanting of that that state wanting to feel that or experience that again sometimes on retreat this can this force of craving can show up as homesickness longing for the comfort of a familiar face or a familiar place and our whole economy is built on this force There's an entire industry designed to convince us that we need something to be happy, that we need some new fancy object, some new kitchen gadget or techno gadget or some new experience to feel happy. The Buddha said there's no river like the river of craving. And he said this whole world rests upon craving. It's this force of tanha that turns the world. It's that strong. And so look and see. Look and see in your experience. Does this force show up? This kind of shadow in the background of wanting something pleasant. And notice how it's never fulfilled. The myth of craving is that something's going to do it for us. Just that next one is going to do it. Ajahn Amaro, who was the abbot at the Bayagiri Buddhist Monastery for a number of years, uh, tells a story of being a little little kid and walking in the streets of London with his mom and seeing some toy in a, in a shop in the window and tugging on her arm and asking her to get it and promising, saying, I promise, I promise, if you get it, I'll never want anything again. That's the delusion of craving. When we're in its grip, it feels like if I just hack, if I just get this thing, then I'll be satisfied. And does it ever do it? So, with the practice, we start to actually study and observe the functioning of craving. We start to see the pattern. And what is it? Sense craving. When you look at it closely first there's the there's the anticipation right and there's a tibetan teaching it says that craving puts feathers on the object of our desire it's like that whatever that thing is that we want it has this kind of glow about it right i'll be so it'll be so nice to have a cup of tea out on the porch with the rain and be cozy the glow the anticipation and then we're going and They're getting excited, it's gonna be so good, right? So there's this ramp up of anticipation. And then if we get it, ah, there's this hit. There's a hit of pleasure. And then it fades, and it's gone. And then we need another one It's on to the next thing. And that's it, that's the cycle. And we start to see the limits we see the pleasure it does bring and we see its limits does it really deliver think of all of the pleasant experiences we've had in life where are they now you know? how long is it gonna last and how's it feel when we don't get what we want That's what happens when we do get what we want. When we don't get what we want, that experience is, that's suffering, right? There's a lot of vivid images in the early texts for craving. The Buddha talked about craving like having a bucket with a hole in it. You pour water in, it just empties out. Or like a whirlpool sucking, sucking us down. Or like being in debt, a debt that you can never pay off. You just have to keep feeding it. So you get that sense of this endless searching for something to fill us up. That's the force of tanha. So in the Buddhist psychology, sense desire, this form of craving, includes mental stimulation. The mind is a a sixth sense. And so it includes the whole realm of fantasy and thought our ideas. So this force of craving can sometimes show up as just checking out, just thinking, thinking about the future, reminiscing about the past. There's a, there's a cartoonist by the name of Ashley Brilliant as a title of his book, based on one of his comics, it says, I've given up my search for truth and now am looking for a good fantasy. <laughs> so how often do you see that in your meditation? There's maybe something unpleasant happening, some boredom or some pain or some discomfort, and the mind launches off into some fantasy or some thought to get away from the unpleasantness, craving something better. I spent a whole session in Japan thinking about my girlfriend back in the United States. Five days, up. we were up at 3.30 in the morning, 50 minute sittings, five minutes of kin-hin walking, 50 minute sitting until 9.30 or 10 at night. A lot of pain, can't move. A lot of pain in the body and I just, I just checked out. Five days. And then at the end, oh wow, I just wasted five days. <laughs> it's over. I learned something important about about fantasy there so this is the first the first kind of way that this force of tanha manifests is this endless searching for something pleasant to fill us up the other two are more subtle they're more deeply embedded in the structure of the mind and they deal more with our sense of self and our relationship to the world I wanted to tell a short story before I get onto the other two about observing this force of Tanha. A um, number of years ago, um, I bought a car. It was one of the first cars that I bought. And um, I did a lot of research, trying to figure out. I wanted a car that I could have uh, biodiesel fuel in for the environment. And then at the last minute, I changed. I was looking at two different ones, and I, the last minute, I changed my mind. Because I like the color of one better than the other, and and it, it turned out that the one that I bought had been in a a place where the weather was really bad, and so there was a lot of rust and some problems with it. So then the craving, I should have gotten the other car. So this is a this is a this is a first world problem here, right? Um, but I'd been practicing enough to to recognize okay whenever I was whenever I would get caught in the grip of wanting this other vehicle that I thought would have been better I would feel I was suffering you know like oh, I should have and why didn't I and God I'm stuck with this and just okay okay this this is suffering okay this is this is a state of suffering right now and then to just slow down okay can I feel this I feel what's happening just disengage from the story and just feel and I could feel that craving I could feel the contraction in my chest in my heart of of wanting this other object that would be better that would be different and so I studied it for months it started, it was very intense at the beginning and then it would get less and it would come up only periodically when something, you know, another thing would happen with the car, then it would come up again. and But just studying it every time and just feeling it, okay, let me just feel this. How is, how is this? Feeling that contraction, that wanting movement towards it. And then slowly it would, it would, it would soften, it would release. And oh, some freedom, some end from it. So this was one example of studying craving and seeing it end. And I'll come back to this in a little bit. So the next kind of craving the Buddha points to is called bhava-tanha. Bhava means becoming or being. And so it's the craving (coughs) to have something, to be something. So this is often driving our actions and it's more subtle than wanting an object it's about our sense of self our sense of identity to feel like it shows up as to to feel like i'm making progress like i'm getting somewhere that sense of i'm going to a better place in the future i'm improving myself um, working on things or i want to get this done so that i can so that i will be better, more fulfilled, happier, have this finished. And I just, I want to say there's nothing, you know, inherently wrong with self-improvement and um, understanding ourselves. That's, That's great. It's a lot of what we do here. But when, when is it, when are we being driven by it in an unconscious way? It's propelling us into the future and robbing us of our contentment in the present. Always, imagining some state in the future when I will be happier, more complete, finally acceptable, lovable. Fill in the blank, whatever your particular flavor of the story is, but it's the same story of in the future I will be. That's this bhava tanha, movement towards becoming something different better other than i am right now sometimes it shows up as just that drive to do in our life this compulsive habitual uh, activity of doing things to get to the end of something the never-ending to-do list you know this one always on to the next thing and on to the next thing and on to the next thing. That force that keeps pushing us forward on to the next thing, that's this deeper force of tanha, is craving to get somewhere, to get, to be finished. I want to be finished. So one of the beautiful phrases to me that occurs in the early texts when one of the Buddha's disciples becomes awakened and enlightened, one of the The phrases that they say that's repeated is, what is to be done has been done. Realized is the end of suffering. It's the end of that movement forward into the future to some imagined state. The realization of that here and now, that what it is we're seeking, what we keep placing in the future, is actually available to us. Right here. It's our nature, it's inherent. And it's through confusion and ignorance that we miss it. We keep placing it ahead somewhere in the future. This Bhava Tanha also forms around uh, a role, being in a certain role. Sometimes we come on retreat and we have to let go of our roles as a parent, or as the caretaker, or as the professional, or as the boss, or the ED, whatever our role is. And that can be quite disorienting. And we start to see that tension inside of not having that normal definition of who we are. It can show up as wanting status or success, the myth of success that our society uh, presents. To be successful is to be happy, you know, and what that looks like and chasing after that. Can even show up as wanting to control things, wanting to control a situation or a person or hold on to something. How much of our lives do we spend avoiding something or trying to make things be the way we want them, trying to get everything to work? trying to make it work trying to make it work does it ever work (laughs) and if it does magically how long does it last before it starts falling apart again this is delusion the belief that things could somehow (laughs) magically all go right and it's that force of tanha that drives us to try to control them and get them all to be the way we want them. So a few years after I bought that car, I had another opportunity to practice. I had a, a brief romance, a brief, intense spring love. One of those kind of like like fireworks and just totally like head over heels. And as quickly as it started, it ended <laughs> two or three months later. And I was devastated. Oh, I was so shattered. It was just heartbreaking. And I feel that craving. It hurt. It hurt a lot to want that relationship to want to be with that person but i would practiced enough to know oh this is suffering <laughs> this is some real suffering here i thought that car was bad poof no that was not this this hurts this really hurts so then i'd study it and say okay this is suffering suffering is to be understood let me be with this okay where's the cause How is the suffering arising? What's it resting on? Ah, the tanha, the wanting. could feel that pull towards this person, towards the dream of our life together that I had created, and wanting that, wanting to be that, wanting to become that, wanting to have her. And so I studied it, studied its arising, studied its ending, feeling it, observing it, being with it in my body. Okay, let me feel this. Feel, if could feel the contraction of the craving in my in my heart, and how painful that was. And then, in feeling it, and observing it, and staying with it, it would release. And over time, it, it would stick around less and less. So, the third kind of craving that the Buddha pointed to is webava tanha, often translated as non-becoming or the craving to not exist. Gill was sharing with us the other day that there's a possibility that this is a mistranslation here and that based on some of the evidence in some of the later texts that this we bhavatanha could also mean craving for wealth and possessions. It's a possibility that it could be another form of this delighting in having things. But the traditional interpretation, which also uh, is useful from a practical perspective, is this, this craving to not exist. Well, what does that mean, craving to not exist? So this is the yearning to get away from things, to get rid of something, to get out of it all, or just to, to shut down. Right. That's that experience of just wanting everything to stop, it just stop just for a moment please just enough that's vibhavatana, that yearning for to get away from to get out of to get rid of to just fall asleep into oblivion or the the yearning to not exist when there's shame or embarrassment that movement to become really small like i just don't want anyone to see me i just wish i didn't exist at all it's still it's still a movement it's still tanha it's just in the other direction it's still a reaching of the mind a pulling away from experience or a resisting or a fighting against experience sometimes it shows up as wanting to get rid of a certain aspect of our personality or behavior i need to get away from this this problem i need to fix this or make it stop sometimes it can also show up as as outward more of the aversive of blaming someone you know it's it's kicking the car that breaks down and you know it shouldn't be happening so this force these 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 forces of craving the wanting pleasant experiences wanting to become or be something or wanting to get away from or disappear they leave us continually running and chasing after things or trying to get away from things and they they block our willingness to actually encounter and learn from suffering so these three kind of channels that this energy of tanha runs down in the mind to experience something pleasant to to experience something to get or have something to become someone or to become something or to get away from and that basic drive of of wanting So I had another teaching a few years later after the breakup. I was uh, finishing my time at uh, the monasteries. I spent two, two and a half or three years training at the Thai Forest monasteries. And right at the very, very end of my time at the monastery in Canada, just a week before I was set to leave, I woke up one morning with a tick in my leg. And I had had a bunch of health problems for the last 15 years before that, some digestive stuff that was chronic. So I'd been, kind of been through it already with the health stuff. I said, oh, God, no, please. So I got Lyme disease and, and a co-infection. And, uh, and it wasn't a simple case where you take the antibiotics and you get well. And so it was even deeper, the craving. And it was, again, it was that experience of, so I thought the breakup was bad. Here, now I've lost my health. And the not wanting, the wanting to be healthy and the not wanting. If only, if only I had done this the night before. If only I hadn't done that. Why, why didn't it happen? How it should, shouldn't be? And, and again, oh, this is suffering. Can I feel this? Am I gonna be willing, can I be willing to experience this? Okay, what's happening? Where's the cause? What's this resting on? It's arising due to something. Ah, it's that wanting, it's that not wanting in the heart. And can I feel it? feel the contraction. And just be with that energy in the heart and then feel it release. So we can see the effect on us of this energy from sort of more gross levels of suffering when we're caught in the grip of this craving to to finer levels of suffering we start to see in our meditation practice that reaching for anything we lose our balance wanting anything we lose presence at the force of craving robs us of our well-being so, the movement towards or away from any experience is going in the opposite direction of this practice. I remember talking to one of my first meditation teachers and asking him, "This is like in the first few first few years of my practice asking him about enlightenment. This was meninndraje in, in India and asking him and saying, "So is it kind of like?" uh you do this and then this and then and he said he said no 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 you're thinking of all wrong nibbana is not in the future it's not it's not later it's now it's here so awakening is is in this moment it's not something that exists in the future it's not something that we are going to experience the fruit of practice the goal is here It's a profound state of presence. And we discover at the deepest level who we are, what we are, what it is to be alive. So any movement, any wanting, any movement towards something is a departure from the goal. This practice is about arriving more and more completely to discover what's already here, that we keep leaving, that we keep missing because we're always wanting something. It's the ending of that wanting that allows the mind to let go and open into something deeper. So can we begin to study the experience of craving? Can we be willing to encounter it, to notice it in our experience? It's not about judging it. It's not that craving is bad or wrong. It's not about taking it personally. There's something wrong with me. I have so much craving. I need to get rid of my craving. That's just more craving to get rid of craving, wanting to get rid of craving. It's impersonal. They're just forces, they're just energies. The Buddha didn't say your suffering and your craving. It says this is suffering, this is the cause of suffering. So it's just studying these these energies, this process at work, and this this second noble truth, the truth of craving. Craving. So the first noble truth is to be understood. Suffering is to be understood. Craving, the cause of suffering, is to be abandoned. So what does it mean to abandon craving? It doesn't mean to get rid of doesn't mean to reject or throw away. So if I abandon this match, it doesn't mean throwing it across the room. It just means putting it down. Just leaving it alone. Stop feeding it. When the fuel runs out, the flame goes out. So I think I want to end with... Um, a quote from the from the Buddha. This is uh, one of the summaries of the, of the whole Dharma. The Buddha said Sab Dhammang Nalang And it means nothing whatsoever is worth clinging to. Nothing whatsoever is worth clinging to. Nothing is worth giving up our true home of presence and awareness to want to move towards, to try to get or have. So check it out. Look and see in your own experience. When there's there's suffering, oh, this is suffering. This is the beginning of the path. Okay, what's it resting on? Look and see. Is there some idea about how things should be that we have? Is there some craving? Is there some wanting? What's the cause? Can you feel it? Can you be with it? And then just observe, study it, see what happens. So let's just sit together for a moment. Sabadamang. NALANG ABINA VESAYA Nothing whatsoever is worth clinging to. Thank you for your kind attention.